The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Sanctify us, O Lord, in truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Certain questions have a kind of boomerang quality to them. So if we sometimes ask, is Christ really present to us in the Eucharist? You might imagine Christ saying, well, I ask myself, are you really present to me very often in the Eucharist? It's not so easy to be present anywhere anymore especially in the fullness of our bodily sense, to be really here, in our bodies. But to be present in the Eucharist is to be ready to present ourselves to God in offering. And here we offer and present ourselves unto thee, O Lord, ourselves, our souls and bodies to be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice. Says the Book of Common Prayer, echoing the words of Paul in Romans. But if we take time and have the heart to be really aware of our bodies, this will prepare us in turn for a fuller sense of who Christ wants to be for us in the Eucharist and in how many forms You see, we forget, but all the ways human beings make meaning are grounded in the bodily senses, in our upright stature in space. And nothing can be just present to a human being in the abstract. If we sense a presence, we register it like this, Oh, there's something up there. Oh, I think there's something over here. I feel there's someone behind me. I think something's creeping up from below. Or, even more alarming, what has gotten inside of me? We register presence in the ways of our different senses of direction space. And we forget how much this is second nature, but how strange it is. So past time will always be felt as behind us, which is very odd. And future time always will seem to be ahead of us, what we must face. And it is our bodies that give us the symbolic language for our emotions. Our friends ask how we are doing, and when we are sad, we'll inevitably reply, I'm down. If we are exhilarated, and when we are thrilled and well, our language is always pointing upwards. Things are on the up. I've just come from a great concert. So uplifting, we say. In a language that is grounded in the thrill we all experienced as infants, 
when one of our parents took us up and whirled us round our heads in what we in the West called airplane, but has been going on since prehistoric times. And our sense of community will always be rooted in the solace of having an ally by our side, on our side. And when we sense things going on invisibly in our bodies, butterflies, gurgles, thrills and alarms, we have the language of interiority. Because it's in the stirring of our guts that we come to know that there is indeed far more to us than meets the eye. Well, the Celtic tradition was especially aware that there's no such thing in human experience as mere presence. Don't we all get a ring of truth when we sing that wonderful hymn from 9th century Ireland known as St. Patrick's Breastplate, when the tune changes and we come to the verse, Christ be with me. Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, to comfort and restore me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in hearts of all that love me, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. So if we show up at the Eucharist truly present, our bodies can act like prisms that break up the white light of Christ's real presence in the Eucharist into a spectrum of many colors of meaning. There are six. Let's go around them. On Monday, Thursday, we are acutely aware of the historic Jesus behind us in the past. His presence to our ancestors and forebears. His presence to us tonight stems from that defining act on a particular day at a unique hour in that one rented upper room. We look back together over our shoulders to Jesus doing back then an unprecedented thing, taking the bread and the wine of the Passover table and declaring, this is me that they were his flesh and blood for us and for many. At table with his betrayer about to be handed over to death, he hands himself over as food to nourish the disciples in their oh-so-precarious future. Telling them to share and go on sharing this bread and wine in remembrance of him. By which he meant to be a sacrificial reminder to the father. So that he will remember his suffering son and his self-giving even unto death. And consummate the coming of God's reign in real time. However long it took for all peoples through their witness. And tonight we're simply doing as we were told at the table back then. And we're forging a new link in the chain that stretches behind us 1,990 years 
of Paschal celebrations almost to the day. And then let's look down. There is the real presence of Christ beneath us. The mystery of the belowness of Christ in the Eucharist. The Eucharist is the converting sacrament that helps us to fall, a very good word, to fall in love with the God who is not that almighty potentate looming over us in domination, but is the vulnerable power of divine humility into which we are called to lower ourselves. By kneeling at the disciples' feet and washing them, Jesus made his disciples look down at him. So it is with in Holy Communion. We only see Jesus on this Monday Thursday by looking down, meeting his gaze looking up at us as our servant. And this makes always the Eucharist such a humble thing. It's just bread and wine, it's all you need. A sacrament with no grandeur doesn't need it, except the self-emptying and humility of God who comes to us in such homely and everyday forms. That beloved teacher, the theologian Sebastian Moore, dwells on this belowness of God in Christ when he talked about the conversion of St. Paul to the living God, as God actually is revealed in the crucified one, in his incandescent prose, he writes, to be converted to this God is devastating. And the image of this conversion is of a God not over us, but under us, spat upon by priests, and a barrack square joke for soldiers, finally nailed to two bits of wood. Saul, the Pharisee, trained in the God of law and rigor, knew of and abominated that image which a new sect was promulgating. It was against everything he stood for as a religious man. And so he had got God wrong. He was thrown and fell helplessly in love with the humiliated one whom the real God has raised up. The God who comes to us from below, the oppressed among us and in us. The God who, his arms stretched out to all the world by being nailed to our cross, is behind us so we don't see him. But we sink into him and let him feed us with his flesh and blood. A horrendous idea for the then religion. And turn us slowly into himself, his body given to others in a new and all-enduring love. Then there is Christ in his Eucharist, present beside us, the way friends are present to us. You are my friends, 
Jesus tells his disciple at the Last Supper. The Eucharist is the presence of Christ on our side, alongside, as our companion. And the very word has at its heart, panis, bread. He is our companion. And the Eucharist is the rations of himself, broken together and shared. Stories of the resurrection that we will be reading in Easter are mostly about food shared in a circle among friends. The fish cooking on the open fire by the lake as dawn breaks. The moment of recognition at the table in Emmaus when it's the guest who breaks the bread and reveals his identity. But perhaps my favorite, most strangely, in the exhaustion of the late night on Easter Day, with the table in the upper room cluttered with dirty plates and messy leftovers from the meal that the overwrought disciples have thrown together, St. Luke has Christ risen coming to ask for some of the cold leftovers. Have you anything here to eat? He points at the mess. Cold fish congealing on the plate will be welcome. And some of that honeycomb, even though it's already attracted the flies. And this is how Christ comes to us in the Eucharist, sharing our lives with us in their messiness, content to be at our side in our everydayness. The Christ on whom we feed in our daily Eucharist and our weekly Eucharist is a companion reserved not for peak experiences or special events, but in the humdrum and the ho-hum. In the tradition, the final communion given to the dying used to be called viaticum, which is an old Latin term for provisions like our packed lunches, our sandwiches, to be taken on a journey. But each communion is a viaticum, rations for just this one day, and what lies ahead of us today. And if we do not seem to see Christ on the daily slog, it is because he is beside us. Seeing what we are seeing and leaning towards us as friends do to ask, what shall we make of this together? And sharing himself as our daily bread. And then there is Christ before us. Christ coming to us in the Eucharist from his future into the present, bringing our future with us, a pledge of it, in the Eucharist. The oldest texts of the Eucharist, such as the Didache, which date to the first century, older than some of the books of Scripture, has at front and center of its Eucharistic rite 
Marana tha. Our Lord, come. It is the prayer of aroused longing, of hope for Christ to come and get us. For Christ to come for us, to make us part of his future. It's the cry of hostages, of prisoners, or people who've simply been left behind by the bus. When are they going to come for us? And in the Eucharist we pray, Maranatha, come for us. The table of the Eucharist is the place of aroused desire. And that's why I always prefer the King James Version for tonight's Gospel, where Luke preserves the actual words of Jesus with their strange Aramaic repetition. With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you, for I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God come is come. It's the fourth round of drinks in the Passover rite, and Jesus refrains from drinking this round. And in that refraining, he gives to the Eucharist its intrinsic incompleteness. The Eucharist is only a provisional thing. It's for the time being. Because the Eucharist points towards the ultimate fulfillment of the banquet of the Messiah, to which every living person is invited, the banquet to which all paths lead, upon which all lives converge. Christ is present in the Eucharist as the one who comes from this future for us, to make us agents of God's desire for the ingathering and reconciliation of all life in the heart of God. I woke up in the night last night with these words coming from God knows where. What an aphrodisiac is to lovers, holy communion is to believers. It is the stimulant of hope for this ingathering of us all beyond the reach of death. And then there is the real presence of Christ within us, an inner union constantly replenished by taking into our bodies the bread which is his body and drinking down the wine which is his blood. Oh, he knew what he was doing. He knew what was in human beings, that inside us all there is a safe room of our own making into which we can retreat to protect ourselves from love, especially the love of God, and fend him off. This is our private myth of our own self-sufficiency, the notion we cultivate that nothing can actually get to us there, that our inner selves at their core are impermeable from the outside. 
We disguise the desperation of this conviction of our own impenetrable selfhood, our inviolable solitariness, with specious ideas that we're too unworthy in any case, so the question doesn't arise. What God in his right mind, what God with any decency or any self-respect, we ask rhetorically to ourselves, would want to dwell in me, even if he could get in? For Christ is the safe blower. He blows the door of our safe room open off its hinges in the frontal challenge of that he issues in the Eucharist. At the altar tonight, he says to again, as he said to his disciples, hold on, I'm coming in. Eat me, drink me, I am meant to be right inside you. And if Jesus knows about the HGTV channel, he might say, your heart is the forever home of my desire. No excuses, no futile pushback, please, against my indwelling. Just let it happen again. It's a simple matter of saying yes holding out your hand, and there you are. I'm in you again, and there I become your truest self. I'm none other than the new and real heart that you've always needed. Well, that leaves us with one direction, which is up. The upward dynamic of the Eucharist has signaled by words that have been at the heart of the Eucharistic rite since the second century, opening the dialogue of the great thanksgiving. Lift up your hearts. The Latin sursum corda is even more punchy. Up hearts. It's almost like go girls. It's, it's almost like a cry to our team at a sports event. Up hearts. We talk, don't we, quite subtly about someone who has their heart in the right place. It doesn't mean they're perfect, but their heart is in the right place. And with this summons from the altar, the church is not asking perfection from us, but only that we have our hearts in the right place. And that right place is within the heart of Christ in glory. God has taken us all up. He's taken us all up into Christ through our baptism so that we are identified with him as members of his body. So if you have been raised with Christ... We read in the letter to the Colossians, Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Not lift up your, it's lift up your hearts is not have your head in the clouds, but your hearts in the right place identified with Christ. 
It's only from one angle that the Eucharist is Christ coming down to us in the bread and the wine. From another angle, it is Christ taking the bread and wine up into his risen self through the Holy Spirit and taking us up again with them as we feed on them, fusing once more together with his body. And here we come to the mystical core of the gospel. Apparently, God doesn't make any difference between his beloved son and ourselves. He can't tell the difference anymore. When God looks at us, Christ is who he sees and loves. And so one of the greatest of our Anglican Eucharistic hymns prays, Look, Father, look on his anointed face, and only look on us as found in him. Is it any wonder, then, that the Eucharist leaves no part of us untouched, no facet of our lives unembraced, no aspect untransfigured, no depth unreached? And here we rightly run out of words as we watch before the sacrament in its place of sacred rest. All we need to do is to sink back into silent adoration that is better than even the best of words and stay still in the gratitude that Christ in the Eucharist means everything to us.